Good morning, church. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Hey, if you brought your copy of God's Word this morning, open it to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 will be our text this morning. It's a beautiful day today. I always appreciate the opportunity to get to share with you from the Word of God. And we've heard some good preaching lately over the last year. There's been a lot of good preaching come through this pulpit, and I've enjoyed it. I know you have enjoyed it, enjoyed it. and I know you're looking forward to the uh, arrival of our next pastor, and, uh, and we are too. We've, uh, we're excited about his coming and, uh, and just learning and growing and maturing under his leadership and under his uh, treatment of God's Word. I hope you continue to pray for him and Stephanie as they is making this transition, and uh, look for ways to express your appreciation to them. I would also say, uh, look for ways to express your appreciation to our current staff and those that have been with us through this time, and we are always grateful for that, always looking for opportunities to do that. And while there's times that you can do that institutionally, we can do that as a church, I would also encourage you to do that individually. If God lays that on your heart, uh, get close to those folks, express your appreciation to them. Have you found your place in the text this morning? We're in Genesis chapter 2, and uh, we're not going to read all of the account, but we're going to start in about verse 18, and, uh, and we'll read down to the end there. <clears throat> then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And he slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence this morning. Thank you for receiving our worship this morning. We pray for open hearts, open minds, an open life as we lay our lives today, this morning, against your word. Father, we pray that uh, you would speak to us through your word this morning. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The other day I was in an office of, uh, in, uh, of someone, and when I walked into the office building, it was literally just filled <clears throat> with this amazing aroma. Uh, I think it was a lavender smell. I'm not sure. It doesn't take much to put me to sleep anymore, but I caught myself even wanting to go to sleep from just this beautiful smell. What they had had, they had a diffuser, and they had taken this diffuser, put it in their office, and had put some 
Aramaic oil in it or something like that, and it was just literally permeating the whole office with this smell. It was a beautiful smell. I even later on when I went back to my office at the hospital, I remember smelling the aroma on me, and I could still smell it. You know, we live in a day in which our world, a secular world, is literally permeating its secular worldview into every area of life. In fact, one of those areas is our world is being permeated with a secular worldview around the home. What is the home? What is is marriage? What is family? And all of that. And it literally is touching every area of society. You know, we spent, we have about 168 hours, I guess, uh, in the week. And most of us will spend that in a secular environment. And so we are, we carry that aroma on us if we're not really careful. Now I'm just going to be obvious here. There, it doesn't surprise me at all, and it should not surprise you, that a secular world is acting secular. I'm all right with that. I understand that. But what I am seeing is a trend. I'm starting to see that there are people of God, God's chosen people, who have begun to take what they believe about the home and marriage and and all of that from a secular society and not from a biblical worldview. And I have to say that concerns me. It should concern you. Now I just want to go on record right here saying that uh, I believe 100% what's in this book. I don't understand everything in this book. I'd be the first one to say it. I have read it from cover to cover, and I, there's things in here I do not understand, but I believe with all of my heart that this is the Word of God. And I turn to it, and I look to it. I believe that the Genesis account in Genesis 1 and 2 is how the world came into existence. I read Genesis 1 and 2, and I just, I'm a creationist. It's been exciting to see in the news and different places how some of the brightest minds, not religious, brightest minds in the world are now going back to creation because there's been no evidence to support an evolutional theory or a Big Bang theory, something out of nothing. But we know where nothing came from, don't we? God breathed it into existence, the Bible said. When I turn, and if you've ever began to read the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, you read it and you realize it tells the same story twice, right? You read Genesis 1 and you think, okay, that's the first chapter. So you read Genesis 2, second chapter. Well, wait a minute, that's the same story twice. It's called Hebrew parallelism. Hebrew, and if you read your Bible many times, it'll tell the same stories over and over again. It's a way to reinforce the importance of what is being taught. And when we read the book of Genesis, we read what God has to say about the origins of man. Now today is Mother's Day, and we're going to be looking at what God says about marriage and the home and, uh, and family and all of that from a, from a biblical standpoint. <clears throat> My goal today is not not be offensive. My goal is not to check, challenge a secular society. That's not it at all. My goal is to help you have success in your life. 
I want you to live a fulfilled life. I want you to have a happy marriage. I want you to get up in the morning and be glad you woke up. And I believe that the one that gave us life can tell us how to live life. And my goal this morning is to inspire you, to encourage you from the Word of God. Not to challenge you with that. So here we have man's situation and what God intends for man. The Word of God tells us that God formed Adam out of, out of the dirt. The word Adam, Adam, is the word that comes from the, word, the Hebrew word for dirt. The Hebrew word for dirt is Adamah. So God forms Adam from Adamah. He takes man from the earth. And He forms him. And He took this man and He put him in a garden and He said, I want you to cultivate the land. I want you to take care of creation. We find that in chapter 2, verse 19, 15. And there man is placed. That word that God formed man from the dust, it's a beautifully rich word. It means, it's the, it's the word for when a, 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 a potter puts clay on a wheel and spins it. And he begins to form it with skilled hands into a beautiful work of art. That's what that word means there. When God formed man. It is a beautiful, beautiful act of God creating man. And we read the text, the first chapter and the first two chapters. And after each day, God would look at what He had made that day. And He would say, oh, that is good. That is good. The word for good in the Hebrew text here is tov. Tov, it's a strong word. Tov, rose off the lips. And as you were reading the text, you could hear it. God created night and day. Tov, animals, tov, plants, tov, good, good, good. And when he got down to the very end of his, his creation, he had created man, and he looks back on everything that he's created, and he said, this is very good. This is very, very good. God was pleased with His creation. Now there's some things we need to say about the facts of human origin real quick. not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. But I want you to just be reminded of some things. We were created by God. You are not a mistake. You are not just uh, some cosmic accident. You were created by God. Your life has a purpose. It has a plan. It is loved by a, a divine being, God. And He created you. The Bible says we were created in God's image. What does that mean? We were created with a personality. We were created with a, with a mind. My mind can think. Your mind can think. Mine doesn't think as good as it used to. We have not only a mind, we have emotions. We can feel we have a will so we can make decisions. We have a spiritual nature. God gave us a soul. And that soul allows us to interact with a spiritual God. And we can know God. We can have a relationship with God. And we can worship God today because of that soul. We were created in God's image is what the Bible says. In His likeness. We also are to be good stewards of creation. 
Work is not the result of sin. We were put in the garden to cultivate the land and and take care of that. And work is part of that. And we are stewards, the Bible says, we are stewards of God's creation. What does that mean? It means it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. I am entrusted with this. Now we could talk about that all day long, but one of the things I want you to think about that is because we are stewards of God's creation... I must treat every human being with respect and honor because they were created in God's image. Now, you and I might not agree on everything. We might not like the same restaurants. We may not have the same political views. We not, may not chose where we were born and all that and all that, what, what, where we're from. But listen, we have to respect and honor each other because we are all created in the image of God and that is tied up into this idea of biblical stewardship. Now that's all I'm going to say about all that. So let's go back to our text. So God has created man, he's put him in the garden, he's looking around and now we come to verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18 and did you see what it says? God looks down into man's situation and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now since we've been giving you Hebrew words this morning, I'm going to give you another one. The word for not good is bad in Hebrew. (laughs) Ba'ad. That's the word. God looks down and he says, this is tall, this is good, this is good, this is very good. But when he got to man and he looked at man, he was all alone. He said, "Mm, it's not good for man to be alone. And God begins a process of having a solution for man's problem here. He begins to say it. You know, a study was done. Not, uh, it, it took over 40 years to do this study. It used thousands of people to do the study, both men and, and women. <clears throat> and at the end of that 40-year study, they concluded, and women did better than men, I'll just say this. But, but at the end of that study, they showed that one of the most dangerous things for a middle-aged man is loneliness. Loneliness. Loneliness, as some of its outcomes in these guys, was pr- producing depression. It had health issues associated, poor health. It also contributed many times to early death, loneliness. Now, they did a 40-year study of thousands of people to conclude that when I could read that in the first text of the Bible, right? It's not good for man to be alone. And so God is going to speak into that. He's going to provide a solution for that. And we see that in 2.19. It says that God, He wants man to realize his situation. And so what does God do? The Bible says that God began to create animals. He would take the same dirt from which he had created man, and he would start to form animals. He was forming animals, male and female. And he would bring them to Adam. Now, if you've got a picture of Adam as some kind of Neanderthal, hairy, uh, you know, monkey-looking guy, you're wrong. Adam was the pinnacle of God's creation. This was a bright person. I don't know about you, but this idea that we're getting better and smarter is not how it's happening. I've got a cell phone in my pocket. Ever since I've had a smartphone, I've gotten dumber. I used to remember phone numbers. 
Now, you know, I used to know how to drive a car. Now, you know, my car drives itself down the road. I'm getting dumber. Things are getting smarter. Listen, when Adam was created, he was smart. This is a creative, strong, beautiful creation. He is the pinnacle of creation. And God knows it. And so God is going to use that. God begins to form these animals. He brings them to Adam. He says, what would you like to call this one? And based on that animal, he would give it a name. And that became its name. That's what the Bible says. And so God is bringing Adam to a point of realization. Because Adam, using this brain, the smarts that God has given him, he starts making a conclusion. He starts looking around in creation and what he realizes, there is nobody like me. There's a horse, there's a cow, there's a cat, a donkey, but there is nobody like me. There's not another human being on the face of the earth. And Adam begins to look around and he concludes, you see it here, no one looks like me, no one thinks like me. No one feels and acts like me in all of creation. Do you see what God's doing? God is creating a need in Adam. And he begins to create an anticipation in Adam. You see, Adam, he knows. He knows. He can feel it. He knows he feels lonely. He knows he feels confused. But Adam does not have a clue what he wants or what he needs. Now, I was expecting every woman in this building to say amen right there. Let me repeat that. Adam was lonely and confused and he was clueless on what he needed and what he wanted, and the women in this building said, Amen. Amen. (laughs) That is right. If you've ever, these ladies know, if they've ever been around, we we know what we're feeling, just don't know what we're thinking, right? And we didn't have a a, a clue as to what we were needing, but God is going to present Adam with an incredible gift. Now, before I go there, I just want to kind of take a pause and talk just a minute about the purpose of your marriage. Because it would be really easy at this point to say, to conclude then that your marriage is all about you and I don't want you to miss what the Bible teaches about that. The first thing I want to say is marriage was born in the loving heart of God to be a blessing and a benefit to mankind. We didn't make marriage up. God did. And no matter what the government says as policy or decree or society permits, God had the first word about marriage and He's going to have the last word about marriage. The intention of marriage is not, is more, let me say it that way, is more than just to keep you from feeling lonely And give you somebody to spend time with or somebody to love and love you. Marriage in the Bible is more than just satisfying your need. Let me say that another way. No one is responsible for your happiness but you. 
When you take God's ideal of marriage and lower it to marriage is about making me not be lonely, marriage is about making me happy, marriage is about you know, satisfying my needs and my attention and all that, you take marriage and you set it up for failure because it was never intended for that. And what you will get is a selfish marriage. And in marriage, when somebody's taking, there is never enough. It always ends bad. But I want to just tell you, in the Bible, when I read through God's Word, this is why I think God gave you a mate. God gave you a mate so that the two of you can become a living expression of God's glory. You see, I believe with all my heart the most important and key ingredient in any marriage is God. God must be at the center of your marriage and God must overshadow your marriage. It's not about you. It is about God. I think that's what the Bible teaches about marriage. So we come back to this situation that Adam's in. Animals have come up. And now God knows he's about to do something. He's about to present this amazing gift to Adam. And so what does God do? In chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says that God causes a deep sleep to fall over man. And then it says, and man slept. The Bible says that we have a God who never sleeps He never slumbers. He never closes his eyes. Oh, missed that. Sorry, I was taking a nap. Never happened. And because we have a God who never sleeps, who never slumbers, you and I can rest in him. We can close our eyes. We can let go. We don't have to be in control of everything. We can rest in him. And that's exactly what Adam does. The Bible says that Adam slept man slept and when he did that he was saying listen i trust god with this need in my life i know what i'm feeling i don't have any idea what i want or what i need but i trust god with it and he fell asleep trusting god what a beautiful place to be the bible says that god knows you God knows you. He knows what you need. And you can trust God. He created you. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. Before you knew who you were, God knew who you were. Now I could walk through scriptures this morning and I could give you text after text after text. To reinforce that idea. But this morning I just want to, if you'll allow me, I'll speak from personal experience. God knew me better than I knew myself. When I was a young man, I did not know I would be right here today preaching at First Baptist Church. In fact, preaching and pastoring and being a missionary was the farthest thing from my mind. When I was a young man, I, did, I hated people. Didn't like them. I liked cows and horses and stuff like that. But I had not had a great experience with human beings. And so I had no idea 
the direction God would take my life. But God knew me. And he knew what I needed. And he had begun to orchestrate my life and the life of another person to bring us to an intersection that I never could have anticipated, I never could have planned. If I had went through all the world, I couldn't have chose better. And listen, God in his knowledge of my life and of my need, he gave me Brenda. This lady sitting right down here. This is my wife. Sorry. He brought us together after preparing us for each other. Listen, if I were to go all over this world and interview every woman on the face of the planet, I could not find a better person than this lady right here to be my wife. We grew up in Christian homes, missionary homes. We grew up cross-culturally in other cultures. We grew up going to national schools when you didn't even understand the language half the time. We grew up in church being loved where church family was more important and as important as biological family. I could just go on and on and on how God prepared the two of us. God kept us pure and holy for each other. And when I think about this person that God has brought into my life, She has a heart for ministry. She has a call to missions. She has a commitment to family that you can't even wrap your mind around, guys. This woman raised three children, taught them to read and write and do math. She did it when there was no electricity and no water about half the time in 100 degree weather. In a different language. She is committed to family. And let me just say, she is the perfect wife God prepared for me. Now, if you know Brenda and I, you know she is the perfect wife for me. The problem is, I am still a work in progress, guys. But Brenda's working on me. I'm almost there. She's working on me. Listen. You can trust God. You can trust God and not be afraid of what He has for you. He knows you. He knows your need better than you do. Genesis 2.22. I've read this text over and over again. Never even thought about it until I was writing this sermon. Genesis 2.22. It says that God took this rib from man and then He Fashioned is the word. He fashioned, different word than formed. He fashioned woman and created woman. Do you realize that that is the last creative act of God? Never thought about it. But nowhere in the rest of Scripture do you see God creating things again like this. Woman is the pinnacle. She is an amazing created being. His last creative act and that's why she's so special listen god wants us to be satisfied when we come together in marriage and we take care of each other 
Turn down in, uh, in your text. Just look at uh, 2.24 just for a minute. We'll look at some of this part of this passage. It's important because God speaks to us about marriage and this relationship with this special person that God's given us. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and his mother and be joined or to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a lot we could say about all that. <clears throat> In some of your translations, it'll have the word leave and cleave, right? This is what I'm going to say about that. If you are not ready to leave, you're not ready to cleave. I can't tell you how many couples I've sat in front of with conflict and discord and problems because somebody in the marriage had not left and they're not cleaving. There is a loyalty that is supposed to happen in marriage. It comes up now with blended families and other things too. We're not going to go down there right now. But it's difficult. But God's priority for you is to cleave to your spouse. And to do that, you've got to let go of something, and that's the leaving in order to cleave to your wife if you're going to have a successful <clears throat> marriage. So here we, we see in Matthew, Jesus speaks about this. Jesus talks about all this in Matthew 19.6. He references this, this truth. And this is God speaking here, you see. Not Adam. It's God speaking. In, this te in, the, in verse 24. And, and Jesus in Matthew 19.6 says, he talks about marriage as being a permanent covenant. Now what's a covenant? A covenant is this, a, <clears throat> a covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties that dictate or, or affect the relationship. That's what it means, a covenant. And so when we look at Scripture, your marriage is a covenant between you, your wife, and God. The three. It's more than just two people. It's three. That's why the closer you are to God in your relationship, the closer you'll get with your spouse. It's that simple. You let things get between you and God, and pretty soon your marriage will start messing up. That's just how it works. Because that is the way it's designed to work here in Scripture. Man, woman, and God working together in a permanent covenant. Now Adam's been asleep. God's taken this rib. He has fashioned woman. And now Adam wakes up and on the arm of God, he sees this woman. Do you remember your wedding day? You remember standing down here in front when you turned around and looked at the back of the church and there was this beautiful bride and you thought, oh my goodness, good for me, right? Listen, that's Adam. Adam wakes up and on the arm of God, he sees this beautiful creature and he breaks out in praise. He breaks out in song. And look what he says. He says, She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken from man. She shall be called Isha because she is from Ish. You hear it? Ish, Isha, 
man, woman. It's connected. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Paul talks about this. He's in Ephesians 5, 31. He says it's a mystery. He says we are to love our wives like we love our own bodies. Why? Because she is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. We are to love her like Christ loves the church. Sacrificially giving, serving, wanting her to be all she can be in God's will. Waking up every day passionate about how to love her, love her more. That's the church. That's God's love for the church. And when we do our marriage that way, we are blessed. God takes these two individuals and He forms a sacred union. This union is physical. It is emotional and it is spiritual. We talk a lot about the, the physical part of this. One flesh, one flesh, and it is there in the text. But it's also an emotional connection. We touch each other. We have feelings. And it is a spiritual connection. Listen, everybody wants physical intimacy in their marriage. If you want physical intimacy, you're going to have to have emotional intimacy in your marriage. And if you're going to be emotionally one in your marriage, you're going to have to be spiritually one in your marriage. That's the only way it's going to happen. And let me just say it this way. If you're here this morning and you want the foundation of your home, your family, and your marriage to be God, Jesus Christ needs to be Lord and Savior of your life. If you're here this morning and you're working on a marriage and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the very best thing you can do for your family is come at the end of this service and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Surrender your heart to God. Because you will never have that marriage unless Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. Because you're incapable of loving that way until you have Him in your life. Listen, God wants the very best for you and your marriage. I see marriages get in trouble every once in a while, and so I'm going to close this morning with just some very practical things. Just take a couple of minutes. When I see them get in trouble, I see a pattern. I see things common in many times. I see sometimes people start to blame each other. People start closing their hearts. You just get where you just don't want to feel. You don't trust. You've went there too many times. It hurts, so you draw straw. You close your heart. Sometimes I see they, they, they isolate from others. You know, your marriage gets sight, get, get you quit coming to church, you quit going about, about around good people, you just kind of withdraw, you get to yourself. That's just natural. And I think the, the, the one thing that probably hurts the most is, sometimes when I think about it, is this, these couples begin to doubt their future. They, they just cannot project themselves into the future and see anything good. And they start doubting their future. and they, It can never be fixed. It can never change. It's just the way it's going to be. And in fact, today, couples are getting divorced. They used to. Couples got divorced because they said, I'm in a bad relationship, a dangerous relationship, or whatever that is. Nowadays, couples are getting divorced out of good marriages. 
because they think they can have a better one. It's kind of like I'm driving a great car, but I really like the color of that new model. And they're divorcing over that now. Not just a bad marriage. This is the way it's going. But listen, there is hope. You can reconnect, and let me just give you some thoughts on how to reconnect emotionally with your spouse. The first thing that you need to do is you need to focus on the positive qualities of your spouse. Why in the world would you focus on the weaknesses and flaws of your spouse? You're in a relationship with this person. Either you both win or you both lose. But when you set your marriage up with like it's a competition and somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose and you're over there blowing your, the other person's candle out so that yours can shine brighter, you have set your marriage up for a win-lose situation and you will lose eventually. Make it a win-win. Focus on the positive traits of your spouse. It's that simple. Spend time together. Listen, it's more than just uh, quantity time. It's got to be quality time. Make some quality time and quantitative time with your spouse. Say, I love you. It doesn't hurt that bad. Just say, say, I love you. Your wife and your spouse and your husband, they need time and they need affection. And you need to be creative in the how you say, I love you, to that other person. You need to listen to your spouse. Oh my goodness. The trouble I have stayed away from, from listening to my spouse. You need to listen to your spouse. Why is that important? There's a passage like Matthew 6, 21. It's talking about money and all that, but then it has this precept. It has this wonderful truth in it, and it says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is that saying? I, you know, I could, this, is, this is gold right here. This ring is gold. And gold is just a metal. But for some reason, people love gold, right? And they'll make this a treasure. And there's people that love gold. It's just a metal. The reason that works is because anything you make a treasure in your life, it's just a matter of time till the emotions are there and you will love it. So what happens in marriage? You quit making a treasure out of the other person. You quit caring about what they're doing, what they have to say, what their opinions are. You don't care what they're reading. You just, you just check out. And pretty soon they're not a treasure anymore. And then what happens? The love is gone. Listen, if you want to bring that love back into your relationship, make a treasure out of that other person and ask them what they're... Talk to them. Ask them what they're thinking. Spend time with them. Listen to your spouse. And the last thing I want to say is learn to resolve your anger and set aside your differences. Now, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to give you some homework. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I heard three Bibles open. No, not really. Y'all open in your Bibles or write it down. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. This is some homework for you. This is, this is a good way to work on resolving anger 
and differences in your marriage. Listen to what it says. So, you, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy, beloved, put on, put it on, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, how, whoever has committed a, a com, complaint, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond this and all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I'd encourage you, today's Mother's Day, go home, get this out, read it. How can I apply this text right here in my relationship with my spouse? Great homework for you. Well, I also know that the quality of your marriage depends largely on the quality of those of your friends that are speaking into it. I've never been with a couple that's marriage is in trouble that one of them or some of them weren't getting some bad advice. It just happens that way. We go find people that agree with us when we're mad. But listen, the quality of your marriage depends a lot on the quality of the friends speaking into it. I read a study that said 78% of couples who regularly attend church say they are very happy or extremely happy in their marriage. That's an amazing figure. That's an amazing statistic. I don't know who you hang out with as a couple. I don't know what you do during the week, but if you want to do something to invest in your marriage and in your relationship, hang out with good people and let those people speak into your marriage and it will improve your marriage. One of them. Hang out with them. Let them speak into your Listen, if you don't have a church family as a couple, you come and join this church and serve God and hang out with God's people. It will strengthen your marriage, your family. I want you to succeed today. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 2.14. And it just says this. It says that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we give off a sweet aroma. A sweet aroma. Can you imagine that? Just like that diffuser would give an aroma all through that building, you and I, we give off an aroma, the aroma of Christ. Can you smell it in the room? The love of God, the presence of God, the encouragement of other believers. Do you sense it here today? God wants the very best for you. He wants the very best for your marriage. Today is Mother's Day. Take time to love on those folks in your life. It's important. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your care for us. We thank you for the marriage and the home and family and what you say about it. Father, it is with humility that we come to this text. We know we are broken. We know we fall short sometimes. But Lord, you are a God who restores and renews and strengthens and heals. And that is our prayer today. Father, if there's anyone here this morning today that needs to give their heart to you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation. Lord, if there's someone, a family that needs to just come and begin to serve God and worship here and get the encouragement and strength, Lord, of others who are falling forward in life, who are doing the right things, 
Lord, I pray they would come and join us here as we worship you. Lord, be with us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brother John's going to come and lead us in a word of, in a song. I'll be here at the front. You stand with us.